This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. You know what I want. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Will Sampson Folk. Today joining me, a couple of dudes based out of Toronto. They run a league-wide podcast called The Fadeaway. Fetty and Zaid, how are you guys doing today, man? Oh, we're doing well, Sam. Thanks for having us on. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. I listened to your podcast about a year ago. You guys threw it over to me. Well, maybe not a year. It was sometime in April or May. Yeah. I thought you guys were good. It's always good to get Toronto-based stuff going. And um, I'm happy to have you guys on. How's your day been so far? Oh, it's uh, it's been pretty good. But actually, I just want to shout you out because I we had reached out to you, like you were saying, about a year ago, um, just because we were getting started. I wanted to get some feedback from, you know, the pod father. That's actually been the chain email subject of our conversation for the last year. Um, and you've been there from day one for us. So we, we appreciate the support, man, and all the all the advice that you gave us. But, you know, today's pretty Pretty good, man. We're uh, dealing with the post-snowstorm and uh, pretty exciting Raptors game last night. So I can't complain, man. Yeah. Did the weather change anything about your everyday lives? Any any problems arise out of that? So I was actually on my way yesterday to, to a buddy's house to watch the second half of the Raptors game. And I was backing out of my driveway. My car got stuck in the snow. <laughs> so... Just cleaning up the snow is, is always a hassle. You know, it's always, you know, it hurts your back. But, you know, what can you do when you live in Toronto? That's, that's, that's what you signed up for. You guys remember that video of Patrick Patterson where his car got stuck in the snow and all the Raptors players were videoing it because, like, oh, my God, <laughs> can you believe this happens here? <laughs> that's probably what you looked like. These poor guys, too, coming from, like, warm states, and then they're, they're slapped with, like, one of the, the coldest cities in the NBA. It's kind of unfortunate for them. Yeah, but, you know, it's a great franchise, so I guess it swings around. But I'll, yeah. I'll swing us into the first uh, the first topic. And seeing the Raptors after playing Minnesota 
after getting everybody back healthy. Fred, obviously, a fantastic game last night. I know you guys are big fans of Freddie out there. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, a lot of people love Marcus All, Beer Poppy, Big Paella, whatever you want to call him. He's a really <laughs> popular guy. He's a big deal. Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, the usual suspects. It's a likable team. However, comma, the Raptors as a whole look like a juggernaut. The sum is greater than the the parts, it seems, right? And so looking at this team from, let's frame it in, how did you guys see this team at the start of the year when the NBA, the famous graphic of Sam Mitchell and his co-host putting the Raptors at eighth and the other missing the playoffs? They're perceived to be sellers of Kyle Lowry, of Pascal, or sorry, of Serge Ibaka and of Marcus Saul. Now the team looks to be gunning for the second seed, fully healthy again. Juxtapose what you viewed them as at the start of the season to now. So there's actually been a few twists, I feel, throughout the season. So where I had them ranked at the beginning of the season, I believe they were a mid-conference team, so maybe fourth or fifth seed. Um, But throughout the season, there's a bunch of things that happened that we kind of didn't expect. We didn't expect Lowry to be extended. We hoped that OG and Anobi would take that next step and kind of become last year's Pascal, which kind of hasn't happened just yet. So we're kind of still banking on that. But we've had other con- contributors that have been doing really well. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, we didn't really expect this big of a jump this season as well. Um, and he's kind of been filling in in, 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 a, in, a, in an unbelievable way. He's playing, he was playing at an all-star, all-star level before he got injured. Kyle Lowry still balling. Marcus Saul, he's he's doing exactly what we need in 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 a, in a sense. But as a as a whole, I think the Raptors are right where I thought they would be. Fourth, they're actually in the third seed right now with that win um, against Minnesota yesterday. So if we can finish in that two, three, four spot, I think the Raptors will be in great shape in the playoffs. Yeah, and if I can add something else as well, so I had them undoubtedly going to be a top four seed in in the in the East. So for me, Milwaukee was a lock for number one. I had them. From day one, I knew they were going to be number one. Uh, did not expect Miami in there, but thought with the mix of Philly and Boston that we could easily be a top four team. I was very surprised, man. Honestly, a lot of people had them out of the playoffs, and you were mentioning early um, in the eighth seed as well. I was very shocked looking at the teams in the East and and current injuries to certain teams mm-hmm. at how you can count out the Raptors. Uh, but then it also brings you back to everyone was so deep-rooted in the fact that Kawhi had this team on his back. But if you actually watch this game, uh, this team, game in and game out, especially in the playoffs last year, um, you see that we're playing the right brand of basketball. The Raptors are playing great defense. They're they're almost building a plug-and-play system where even when you see with injuries, uh, guys are subbing in and, and they're you know continuing that high-level play. So to me, this is no surprise at all. Uh, I would love to see the Raptors gun for that second seed just because I think uh, with you know the standings and what they look like now, we can definitely be a first-round exit or you know go out later on in the conference final, just depending on who you go up against in that first round. So try to get that second seed, uh, get that bit of a cushion. And uh, But, I mean, in terms of being where we where the Raptors are now, I'm not surprised by that at all. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I did a, an Eastern Conference preview podcast with Michael Pina, a uh, league-wide writer for the SB Nation, at the start of the year. And we both had, I believe it was, Philly was in my top four. And I still believe in Philly. I think Joel Embiid is too big a problem in the playoffs. But my top four was... Celtics slash Heat, Philly, Raptors, and Milwaukee. But there was no way I was taking the Raptors out of the top four. Not with, you know, who we knew they had in-house. 
it's been it's been super interesting to watch them and how the the league and the media has accepted them, pushed them to the side when when it suited them, you know, and the Raptors, they've been undervalued as a team for such a long time. But you said something that I want to talk about as far as OG Ananobi making the Pascal Siakam jump. Firstly, how close do you think he is to that? And going into the season, what would OG have to do to dictate you saying, okay, he's now made the Pascal Siakam jump? Because the Pascal Siakam jump, which I've said the fourth time now, is pretty big. And, uh, you know, not many players do it. So what would you like to see from OG that you would designate as, okay, he's made the same jump as Pascal. He's doing Pascal-type things. It's a big jump, but it's not an unattainable jump. You know, in the beginning of the season, he was playing like he was going to make that jump. He he wasn't starting off slow. He was shooting the right shots. His three-point percentage had improved. He was playing defense. He was rebounding. And just the, his ability to stretch that floor during that, that beginning, maybe 10 games of the season where he was shooting really well, that's exactly what we needed from him. Unfortunately, it kind of dropped off as of late and as we got deeper into this season. He's, he's just got a great build. He's got a great feel for the game when he's taking the right shots. And I think that's the biggest thing is just that his discipline needs to be there. He needs to hone in on, you know, is this shot the right shot for me to take? He needs to be available for people to make plays for him. I don't think he's a a guy who's going to be creating his own offense just yet. I think Pascal did a lot better of a job that, of doing that last year, and he kind of was able to take over, especially when Kawhi was out. He was able to kind of be that sec- that primary second option beside Kyle Lowry. I'm not expecting all of that from OG. I just want him to contribute in a way where he's taking the right shots, he's rebounding, he's rebounding at a high at a high pace, and he's pushing the ball up with 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 the, with Kyle Lowry, with Fred, Fred Fred Van Vliet, and with Norman Powell. So what I really want to see from him is just discipline. And I know he's got it on the defensive end. I know he's got a great body, he's got great length, and I know he can give it to us on the defensive defensive end. But I really need to see his shot selection being there. I want to see him attack the rim when it's when it's available for him as well. I think you bring up a great point is deciding when to be an elite secondary or tertiary option because like you said his shot profile, you know, is is good enough. It's it's a decent shot profile. It's just how often he's getting himself into the right spots. We've seen him as a proficient, you know, cutter. He's pretty mm-hmm. good at sneaking along the baseline when Pascal Siakam, for example, is getting a lot of attention, getting into the dunker spot. We saw it last night as well, and the game before quite a few times. But it's that ability to attack a closeout, and it's certainly there's a lot of players who aren't great creators who are able to attack closeouts effectively. I think that's the big step for OG Ananobi is when the defense is arriving and sinking and filling against other guys. And mid-rotation, if he can attack the back end of the defense like a guy... Norm Powell has gotten really good at doing. I think that's the biggest step. But Fetty, what do you think, man? Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna chime in on this just because OG is. I have like I have such a passion for OG that it frustrates me sometimes when I watch him play because OG. If you actually, if you guys both remember when Pascal started making that jump uh, into last season before this season, we started to see him develop that corner three, and he was it was a go to, and it mm-hmm. was. Game in, game out, they find him in the corner, and it was his strongest suit. He wasn't really as strong all over the court as he is now, but that corner three was starting to develop. What I'm seeing from OG this season is he's a little bit more comfortable from the three. He's taking more shots. Mm-hmm. He's making more shots. But my frustration with OG is I feel like he needs to work on his hands and his ball control because 
a lot of times he's he's flustered and he'll take the ball in the in in the post and he'll get good position and then he'll just get all flustered and the ball will either it'll turn over or it'll just miss right at the rim his his touch around the rim is it needs a lot of work and then in turn it's going to help him be more confident with his shot because yeah if you're going to step up and guard me I'm going to take you inside and I'm going to get to where I need to get he's a big dude mm-hmm. he's super athletic and he's a great defensive player. He has a lot of intangibles that a lot of guys don't have. All he needs to do is just work on that hand control. And honestly, the jump that he made from last season to this season, for me, the glaring thing is his aggressiveness. Just he wants to impose himself more in the game. He wants to become a presence. And he's not just a guy who's going to hit or spot up for you in the corner. Yeah, I think that's a great point you bring up is when you're bringing up the post-up game and his lack of aggression there and lack of finesse there, that's a big deal because he should profile as a player that when the Raptors, you know, their offense gets kind of bogged down and depending on how he's being played in that game, he should either A, be able to take a power forward off the dribble. He has the body, he has the speed, he has the athleticism. He should be able to do that kind of stuff. We saw him do it against Kevin Love quite a few times when they played Cleveland. He should be trying to apply that against better and better defenders. That's the type of growth we want to see, A. And B, if we see him in a jumbo lineup like that started two games in a row where he's at shooting guard, if things do get bogged down, he should be able to take a guy like Terrence Ferguson into the post. He should be able to take smaller guards into the post, and he should be able to finish easily in there. And just that, mixed with a growing three-point shot, I think is one of the, the best parts of his game. And like you said, and like I wrote about at the start of the year, He's a prime candidate for an all-NBA defensive team. He's that good on that end. But yeah. we've been a little bit maybe pessimistic, but I'm going to swing it to you guys. What do you think of him? And we'll start with you first, Zade. What do you think of him as far as what, do you, what have you liked from him this year then? You know, Fetty alluded to his aggressiveness, and that was one of – he was right. He, that was one of the glaring differences. He was He's just not passive anymore. Last year, you, you saw he kind of didn't want to shoot. He didn't want to drive. I think something that – is pretty new and something that he's added to his game is when he's on the perimeter, he's a very good ball faker and, and he can, and he does a very good jab step and he has a very good first step to get past his defender. He's had a bunch of times where he's been in the corner on the wing and he's taken those bigger fours off the dribble and just blown past them and dunked it or laid it in, in the, in the, in the basket. So I think for him, just being aggressive, taking smart shots, we saw him take really smart shots in the beginning of the season. I want to keep seeing him doing that. And, you know, he's just he's just athletic. He's got that build. He's got so many things going for him. And if he just plays the right way, if he just, I think, he invests in watching film and picking his spots and knowing where the team wants him to be, I think he's just going to flourish in the offense. Yeah, so for me, what I like from OG, his, definitely his production has gone up. He's going from seven points per game last season to 11 this season. He's almost doubled his rebounding averages. Uh, he's shooting very efficiently. Honestly, he's shooting about uh, his three point could get a little bit better. It's improved from last season from 33 to 38%. Um, 38% is right near that 40 mark where that's kind of like the benchmark for a good shooter in the NBA. Uh, and then his, obviously his field goal percentage is is 50% overall, about 60% on twos. So he's definitely, he's not inefficient. He's not throwing up bricks per se. Uh, he's still playing very aggressive. He's scoring a lot. And honestly, for me, his defense has just been phenomenal. Like putting him on players, like I'll never forget in the series where this is, the, and I think the announcer said this or somebody said this to me, it really resonated. But the the LeBron game winner in the playoffs when we, I think it was game three and when they got swept, 
couple yep. years back, mm-hmm. the floater right the floater. over OG. That was the game OG Ananobi grew up. Yeah. The, in that in that exact moment, I felt he was like, wow, this is NBA. This is how you defend. He was put up against the best player in the world, game winner on the biggest stage. And ever since then, he's just gotten better defensively. He's more active. His hands are very, very active, and he's a big dude. Like, he's put on a lot of muscle since his rookie season. Mm-hmm. He's 6'8". Yeah. He's not a small guy, so he can, he can bang with the best of them. He can run, and he's very athletic. I just want to see him take that next leap, which I'm confident he will. I mean, with the... The way we've developed, uh, you know, Freddie, uh, Pascal, even guys like DeLon Wright, JV, who are not with us anymore, but were brought up in that system, it's evident to see. I think that's a really good point you bring up. And also, before LeBron hit that floater, OG was the guy who tied the game with a three-pointer. And that led to, there's a fantastic quote from Nick Nurse about how he was texting OG during the summer. And OG said, what do you want me to work on? And Nick said, okay, well, we want you to have better playmaking and better shooting during clutch time. And basically that. And OG responded, well, I already do that, coach. And so the <laughs> second year was a bit of a letdown because of, obviously, the tragic loss of his father. He had the appendicitis through the playoffs. Yeah. Basically, a, ter- a bunch of terrible stuff all piling on top of him. But this year, I think we'll see him step up as far as in the playoffs, whereas last yeah. year he didn't even get an opportunity. But I'm glad you brought up the rebounding, too, because I think... His rebounding has really improved, not only in the numbers, but in the space he's able to carve out as a, a box-out guy, something mm-hmm. he might be learning from Marcus All. But the Raptors have struggled getting their own defensive rebounds this year, so it's nice to see him step up in that regard. Absolutely. And one thing I want to see him work on, too, for next season is the free throws. He's sitting at 66% from the free throw line, 62% on his career. If you're close to 40% from the three, you should ideally mm-hmm. be up at least above 70% from your free throws, if not above 75. So I'd love to see that improvement in it as well. Yeah, that's a great point, especially when, you know, the the biggest indicator of whether he's going to shoot a three really well or not is if he's open and if he yeah. gets to align his hips and his feet. Whereas at the free throw line, he should be able to, you know, assure both of those things. But to swing it into the next topic that I have for us, Talking about a guy who has taken a step larger than maybe anyone would have imagined, Norman Powell. Before the the Minnesota Timberwolves game, in the 13 games prior, shooting 48% from downtown on three makes a game, almost 60% from the field, and 20 points a game. There's so much to like. And I'll swing it over to you guys. We'll go with Fetty first, and we'll say, what are you seeing from him that makes his performances so starkly different? Okay, so... I'm actually seeing a lot of Kawhi Leonard in Norman Powell mm-hmm. in terms of his decision-making, his ability to really get to where he wants to on the court more this season than I have ever seen from him. Uh, his shot decisions, his efficiency has gone a lot better. Um, but, I mean, when I look at you know, sort of what Nick Nurse is doing with him, obviously we've seen a ton of injuries. I think we missed just over 130 combined games as a roster. Uh, due to injury. So he's gotten a lot of opportunities. His minutes jumped from 18 last year to 28 this year. So being a, that's, that's a really like, that's a rotation heavy player. You're playing 30 minutes a game. Um, he's shooting, his shooting went up from seven to 11. So he's putting up more shots, getting more opportunities, more touches. But the number one thing for me is just that confidence, that swagger that a, he got from Kawhi B he got from winning a championship. A lot of people don't realize like, Okay, yeah, if you want to say that Kawhi carried this team and and yada, 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 whatever, all of these guys still played in high 
level basketball games. The Milwaukee series, uh, the Philly series, these are great series and a lot of moments where you really are tested as a professional. And I think that being in a locker room with guys like not just Kawhi, but Kyle, Serge, Mark, these refined veterans, these su- superstars or stars, I guess, that are just so professional and so poised in what they do, it really influences the younger guys. Like when you see it in Freddie, the swagger Freddie has, you even see it in Terrence Davis, a guy who we just didn't even draft. We signed, They signed him at the end of the summer. <laughs> he was on the Golden State Summer League team. So this is a guy, this is clearly a system that we're starting to run and just that poise, that confidence, I think is the number one thing that really has catapulted him given all the increases in his game from a minute's shooting perspective and everything. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Zaid, I'll swing it over to you, man. Let us know. I think the biggest thing is just the inc- the increased role, and I think he's finding out who he needs to be for this team. The last three or four years, I think we've always said, Norman could be this, Norman could be that. And I know Nick Nurse came out maybe a month or two ago saying that, you know, you've been filling in great, you've been playing well as a starter, but you're going to be a bench player for this team. And I think he's just taking that and he's used that to motivate him, and he's accepted that role as well. Since he's come back, like, I think... The biggest thing is also his his ability to defend and take care of the basketball. So he's averaging less than one turnover a game since he's been back. And I believe Matt Devlin said yesterday, he said 27% of his points come from the defense. That's what that's him playing defense. That's us getting getting stops. That's him turning over the ball. That's him being able to come out on the break and attack the basket or even um, go out to the three-point line on fast breaks and be able to shoot that three-point shot. So I think he's just figuring out where he needs to be and figuring out what his role is for the, te- for the team. If it's to be a second unit guy, I think that's a great advantage for him because he can go up against second unit players and really be able to dominate and contribute, contribute on the offensive end. And as well, I see a bunch of plays where Nick Nurse is actually starting to run plays for Norman Powell. I've seen a bunch of plays where, you know, they're Marcus screen handoffs or um, curling around the three-point line and getting threes for Norman Powell. He's just, he's got a hot hand. He's shooting his jump shot just looks so pure. He goes straight up, straight down. It's a perfect jump shot. So I think just his ability to recognize this is my role for the team and I can flourish in this role and I can do very well for this team. I think that's the biggest thing. And he actually made that jump that we want OG to make. So him figuring out how to play for this team, I think has helped him a lot. I think you brought up the most important points regarding um, Palisade is that A, he is supercharging his offense with transition offense and for a guy who pal there's a lot of rhythm to his offensive game to constantly find himself involved whether he's filling the lane flying out to the three-point line or headed towards the rim where he's finishing at 70 percent this year the best of his career by a large mark we're seeing him whether it's just in defense whether it's getting like you said having plays run for him whether it's he's running off of split action as the guy who dives to the rim or if he's popping out to the three-point line next to Marcus Gasol, or if he's coming off of horns or pin downs for open three-pointers. We've seen Norm Powell for about two and a half years now as a reliable three-point shooter. He's been that, except he was only getting that off of weak side, you know, side-top-side action where the ball goes around the horn comes back to him, whereas now the Raptors are utilizing him as if he is a shooter, and he's responded in spades. So I think you bring up the best parts of that is that, yes, the transition offense really fuels his game and the ability to eat off of that fuels his de- his defense in return. So it's all, it's a cycle and it works so well for him. And then to feed into that cycle as well, Nick Nurse has recognized that that's an important part of his game and has decided to involve him in the offense even more. So I think you bring up the most important parts of that. And also, I guess I'll add on the end, which is more of the minutia of his game. 
but how he navigates and negotiates the space going downhill is much better than he's ever been. He switches speeds a lot more. It's not just sprinting to the rim where the help side defenders finds it really easy to track him, block him at the rim. He had a really, really high block rate for the past three seasons. He just had a lot of trouble finishing. Whereas now, there's a bit more pace to his game, a switch up. And so he keeps defenders more at bay than ever. They can't just track him easily. So I think that's a a good place to stop the Norm Powell talk. I don't know how you guys feel about that, if you have anything else to add. Yeah, I was going to throw one more thing at you, Sam. Just a question. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Pascal last season won the MIP. He went from seven points to 16 a game. Now we see Norm go from about eight and a half points to 16 a game. Uh, Brandon Ingram aside, could you see an MIP case for our boy Norm? I certainly, if he continues like this, because he's been averaging... 20 points per game over the last 13. Yeah. If yeah. he does, if he is scoring between 18 to 20 points per game, he's going to be one of the five names mentioned for the award. However, comma, I do think it's that's Brandon Ingram's award. I can't imagine anyone else getting that. Like you were saying, OG Ananobi, you wanted to shoot better from the free throw line. You know, Brandon Ingram, I think he has a 17% jump from wherever he was to wherever he is now. And he shoots like 7 or 8% better from the three point line. And all this on a crazy amount of volume. And he's gotten better at defending. So, while Norm Powell, I definitely think, deserves a lot of credit. And I hope he gets it from the fan base, you know, ongoing. But I think that's Brandon Ingram's award. I don't know. He's been crazy, man. I would agree there. But one more thing to add about Norm before we wrap it up. Shooting splits 50-40-85. So, he's so close to that 50-40-90, which nobody would expect from Norm. But you're right. It is B.I.'s award, no question. Yeah, he's a heat pump, man. Not he well, took like I... four leaps. Brandon Ingram took four leaps, not just one. Yeah, it's it's because his legs are so long. That's why. <laughs> and those arms, too. But the next thing I want to talk about before we get into the Twitter questions break is Marcus Saul. Such an interesting player for the Raptors in that he has this sage-like presence about him. He is so important to so much of what the Raptors have going on. You know, we all talked about whether it was... Um, Powell in the dribble handoffs he's getting he's super effective there or the split action that I acknowledge that he's super effective there these both sit on the crux of Marcus Saul and Marcus Saul helps alleviate so much of the pressure that's applied on those plays whether it's as a screener his gravity or the creation of his passing we've seen him not only be one of the best defenders in the league this year at times but also whether it was the start of the game against Minnesota where he's bullying Carl Anthony Towns or the game previous where he's pouring in, what was it, six of seven from downtown. What is Marcus Saul? Is he top five center in the league? Is he top ten? How do we rank a guy who is so seemingly inconsistent while being one of the most consistent players in the league? I think that's the greatest way to put yeah. <laughs> Marcus Saul in, in a short sentence. Um, I can start with this one. So I would not put in top five. I put a list together. I would not put in top five. I'll tell you that. I can definitely make the case for top 10 centers in the league. And I'll tell you what separates him from, I think, every other center, if not makes him like a top three. His passing ability is beyond elite. It is like he passes a lot better than most guards in the league. So his passing ability uh, for a center is incredible and such an asset to have. His floor spacing Mixed with his passing ability is also elite. So his ability to stand on the three, he's shooting 40% from three for a center. You can't ask for better. 
So his ability to space the floor, um, his ability to pass the ball, all of these things are really great things. His defense is great. Um, guys like Vucevic can't see the court when he's on. Guys like Embiid, who's a superstar, also struggle against a Marcus Gasol. So all of those things make him an elite center. But what doesn't make him a top five for me is 7.7 rebounds. Forget his points. He needs to average more than seven rebounds a game. If you are the sole center on the on the team, there's no there's no reason for you to not get at least ten, especially at that size. He's shooting forty percent from twos. Forty percent from three is great. Forty percent from two as a center is really really poor. And I think that's up from where he started on the season. So he's definitely getting a little bit better. But his if it, or lack of efficiency rather from twos uh, mixed with just his, I guess. He doesn't really want to shoot or he doesn't really want to impose himself offensively. Those little things wouldn't make him a top five over like uh, a Rudy Gobert, a Cat, uh, a LaMarcus Aldridge, a Nikola Jokic, and Embiid, those guys. So that, that's where I stand on Mark. Yeah, I think those are great points to bring up. I think, like you said, the two-point shooting is definitely trending upwards. And I have a, I have a theory about that, and I'm going to bounce it off of you guys. So when he played FIBA... His two-point finishing was actually super fantastic. He was great near the basket. And obviously, we all know he played really well internationally yeah. during the summer. In FIBA, there's a lot less flying around the rim. And the typical FIBA international big man is like a solemnity, like a big plotting guy. So to get a two-point basket, it's really physical at the bottom, but it's not a high-flying type of shot blocker at the back end. So I think that Gasol went from playing FIBA-type post-game to the NBA, where in the NBA, he's one of the biggest guys as far as his weight and the way he rumbles down into the rim, he's expecting a lot more pushback. He yeah. wasn't getting pushback, not that much, from a guy like, let's say, Bam Adebayo, who's more likely to jump up and swat near the rim. Guys like that, or even, who was it, Grant Williams was able to stand him up just guys who are able to play a different style of defense. I think the post-defense that's played in the international game is so starkly different. The contrast is so much that mm -hmm. I think he had to get used to that. But it is trending up. But like you said, 40% is abysmal for a center. And it was much worse when it was like 24%. That was bad. And as far as <laughs> the rebounding... Tough. It was yeah. tough. 24% was the first like month of the season. It was very tough. He was missing yeah. bunnies, like airballing bunnies from the paint. It was it was something else. But as far as the, um, the airballing, I did a you know I wrote a piece at the start of the year. Well, it was part of the black box report, the the combined column I do with Lewis Satsman, where I looked at every single offensive rebound that the Raptors had given given up, and almost none had anything to do with Marcus Saul because he is doing so much boxing out. So I think there is an you know a part of that his low rebounds is connected to trying to box out so that Kyle Lowry can swoop in so they can jumpstart their transition offense, something like that. But at times you do wish there was this Serge Ibaka-type aspect to his game where he can really go up and leap and grab those really impressive rebounds. But Zade, what do you think, man? As far as centers around the league, honestly, I can you can make an argument that he's not even top 10. You know, so But that says you're comparing him to these other athletic big men who have way larger roles on their teams than Marcus Gasol does. I, I think that you have to you can't really compare Mark to other centers in the league because he plays a very, very, very unique role for the Raptors. Um, just to pick it back off a little bit what Fetty said, underrated passing ability. He's got an elite ability 
to initiate offense not only from the post but also from the perimeter. And I had alluded to that before when I said you you've got you know those those screen handoffs, people curling off of him when he's screening. And I always hear Jack Armstrong talking about the screen assist. He does a very good job of screening for the ball handler and screening for people off the ball. And he, if you look at that screen assist stat, I'm sure he's very high up in the league. His screen setting ability and his ability to actually free up his teammates is something that is very, very unique and something that really can't be replaced for the Raptors. Where I also want to look at is his, his defense. This guy is an immobile can't really jump, can't really move that quickly, but he shuts down stars such as such as Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns last night had 12 points, six rebounds, six assists. He shot 36% from the field, 40% from three. <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns is supposed to be a superstar in this league, and he can't even really get by Marcus Saul. Granted, the Timberwolves were on a back-to-back, so were we, you know, if you want to factor those things in as well. But if you just look at it at face value, his ability to defend against these mobile bigs. It doesn't really make sense because they should be able to blow by him. They should be able to jump over him. But for some reason, his, his ability to just stay in the right position, his, his ability to read where these guys are going and just be there, be a big body, you know, challenge their shots a little bit, rattle them up a little bit and not allow them to score, not allow them to rebound. It's a very unique ability. You can't really compare that to the Clint Capellas or the Andre Drummonds. This is something that he needs to provide for the Raptors and the Raptors only, per se. He doesn't have to have a really big offensive load because the Raptors want a very guard and wing-oriented offense. So the offense doesn't necessarily go through him in the case where we need him to score, but we really need his ability to, to screen, to rebound, to box out, and to be able to make plays from not only the post, but also from the perimeter. I think you bring up probably the most important point that is, you know, as much as me phrasing this question, is he top five? It's a bit of hyperbole, of course, but it is truly... He's such a unique player comparing him in a numbered list, you know, league-wide as a center. It seems kind of like a fruitless endeavor, right? Because he is so unique. There is so much that he brings to the center position that isn't emulated anywhere else. But there are also benchmarks of the center position that he doesn't come close to. Whereas Fetty was saying, finishing on the inside, not really a feature of his offense. But you can run, he can be the fulcrum of split action offense or dribble handoff offense. And like you said, how he's able to work on defense without being a mobile big, but still being able to stop mobile bigs like Carl Anthony Towns, or being able to stop mobile players like Steph Curry in the playoffs last year. His hands, his ability to read the, the offense, really next level. But do you guys have anything else you want to say about Marcus Saul? I don't. Okay, not Marcus Saul, but I do want to ask you a question. You know who we traded for him last year? Okay, that guy's having a pretty good season. You know, Valanciunas. Do you think? that the Raptors can run the same offense that they can right now with Jonas Valanciunas, who's going to give you more points and rebounds? I don't. I don't at all. Just because of I, I'm really a huge fan of the dribble handoff and the split action. The split action is what the Warriors ran so famously for so much of the like of their dominant years, just running right. it with Steph Curry or Klay Thompson. And Klay Thompson is known as one of the best cutters in the league. Because of course he is, but his his ability to slip the split action to get to the rim because of Steph Curry's gravity and Draymond Green's ability to make those passes. That's what made it so dangerous, and I don't think Jones Valanciunas is as good at the high-low feed or any of the dribble handoff sequences that Marcus Gasol is. And I don't think Jonas is as good a defender as Mark. However, 
I do think that Jonas was underrated while he was in Toronto, and I was sad to see him go. I, I truly did like Jonas. I think his defense was underrated. I think his passing chops were a little underrated, and I'm happy he's doing well with the Grizzlies. But I don't think that they can run the same offense with Jonas in place of Mark. I don't. Do you guys think so? Um, it's tough because I don't think that from a defensive perspective, JV has the presence that Mark has. I don't think JV can disrupt guys that can be like Horford, like those upper echelon players who you're going to need to shut down come playoff time. Uh, but I do like his offensive ability a lot better than Marcus Hall's. Uh, but that being said, with the way the team is constructed now, I don't think that we need a center who's going to score a lot. But I, I, like you said, it's just more of a sentiment. I was just sad to see him go. I'm very happy to see him doing very well in Memphis. He's 15 and 10. Memphis is sitting in eighth right now in the West on a seven-game winning streak. So happy for the guy. Um, it was it was a little bit sad to see him upset about not getting a ring too. But that's a whole <laughs> different discussion. But uh, no, I, I I think they offer different um, pros and cons. So yeah, they're they're very different players. But like like you know, I think is on the tip of our tongues. Jonas is a hell of a thing to stop in the post sometimes. There is an inevitability to some of his post-ups. There are a few players who can back a guy down and get to that baby hook like him in the league. And sometimes you'll get Mark on the short roll, pass the ball back out, and you think, oh, man, if Jonas got the ball there and he had a guy like Solomon Hill coming up (laughs) to to tag the roll man— He's going to plow him over and dunk on him. And that there is a part of that that you love about Jonas. And Jonas just being a super lovable guy. And I also agree. I think he should have got, got a ring. But Zay, do you have any closing comments regarding Gasol, Jonas, anything like that? I don't think – I agree with both of you guys. I don't think we can run the same type of offense with Jonas. He just doesn't provide that that versatility that Mark does with the passing, the playmaking. doesn't have the IQ that Mark does per se. I think Marcus Gasol's uh, – offensive ability around the basket has he had it at one point in his career he you gotta take into account that he's on the back end of his prime if not he's not really in his prime anymore right he's in the back end of his career in general so he's not going to have that same athleticism that same aggressiveness that we want him to to have essentially than the one that Jonas has Jonas is entering his prime right now so I think though for that for this Raptors team Marcus all plays a very specific role that Jonas can't even touch so if you're if you're going to compare the two for this Raptors team, you, you've got to take Marcus Hall. Yeah, and I think if the Raptors didn't win the championship last year, we had Mark this year, and we had to watch, what is it, JV's 26, 27? <laughs> we had to watch a 27-year-old Jonas Valanciunas eating everybody's lunch in Memphis. We'd yeah. probably be like, man, why did we make that trade? But, yeah. you know, the championship, it erases everything. It makes everything sure. all good, but... I think I think we're ready to get into the break. So, listener, you're gonna you're gonna hear an ad read, but afterwards we're gonna answer some Twitter questions from listeners who like to hear what we think. Here's the scenario: Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years, and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit GoldfingerLaw.com and get us working for you. And welcome back. Still the Raptors Weekly Podcast. Still joined by Fetty and Zaid of the Fade Away Podcast. And still your host, Samson Folk. 
We're ready to answer some Twitter questions. We sent out a tweet procuring, asking for what you guys thought. And the first one is from Jeff Lowe, who says, You hear reports of Raptors adding a piece, Covington possibly being a target. What does he add that the Raptors don't have already? And I'll swing this over to you guys. You guys can start with that one. Okay, so I can start with that one. So Covington would be an interesting piece. Covington sort of gives you the OG Ananobi role with the hands that you want with a little bit of a better shooting uh, aspect. I don't know what the Raptors would have to give up to get a Covington. And that is where it sort of bothers me a little bit because I don't know that Covington is a game altering type player. He has good skills, um, but I don't know. I'm just not sold. I, I think we can, with what OG has in his ceiling, I think OG can either reach Covington level or surpass that. Uh, so I, I don't know that I would love Covington, but I mean, he is a, he's a nice player. He can shoot the three pretty well. He can defend. He has length. He's a good wing player. No complaints there, but I think with what we have in OG and his potential, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to give that piece up to get a Covington. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up. But as far as Covington, what he brings, I don't think you have to look at him compared to OG. I think OG's role is affirmed and is safe. I think it would be he would take Mance away from one of McCaw and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, provided that neither of them goes out the other way. But Covington is on a pretty team-friendly deal. It's roughly $11, $12 million. How the Raptors get up to that amount that becomes a little concerning because I don't think you want to trade Norm Powell at this point. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, like we were talking about beforehand, if you do want to run an offense through split action, through the dribble handoff sequences up top with Marcus All, and you want that to be, you know, a piece of your offense, you need to have guys like Powell who can run that. Covington doesn't really add that much in that sense, the same way that OG Ananobi isn't very good in the split action and he's not very good in the dribble handoff either. So Covington, I think, has to be viewed at he'd get Rondé Hollis-Jefferson's role. And I think that he is better than Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. But depending on what we have to get, what we have to give up to get him, I don't know if that's worth it. And one of the things with the Raptors being, you know, such a good team, but lacking a Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James or an Anthony Davis, guys who take up so much of the cap and having multiple max players is that the Raptors, they become a good team by filling out their whole roster with quality which means when it comes to buyout season or trade season, getting a guy like Covington doesn't do as much for the Raptors as it would for the Lakers who can, you know, maybe play Covington instead of Avery Bradley, something like that. Zade, what do you think, man? I don't think he adds much value to the Raptors if you were to bring him in. He's just, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty solid 3 and D player. And I think the Raptors have done a great job as, like, like you said, just filling the roster out with quality. We already have 3 and D guys like, Norman Powell is a is a very versatile three and D player. Um, OG Onanobi, hopefully you can his if his three point shooting improves, he'll be a great three and D player. And I'm not even really sure if I would give him up for Rondé. What I like about Rondé is that you don't you can put him on the court and he'll be gritty, he'll be grimy, he'll defend for you, and he'll also grab offensive rebounds for you. I don't really see that in in um, Covington. I don't think he'll be able to provide that same gritty spark that you might need off the bench. And what I like about Rondé as well is that you don't really need to run plays for him. A lot of times for, for Covington, he's a, more of a spot-up shooter. So if, if I can eliminate a guy that doesn't... If I can get a guy who doesn't need plays run for him and will be hustling, getting second-chance points, doing all the little things that the Raptors will need in, to win and, and, and to get over like a certain hump or make a run, I, I'm not even really sure I would give up anyone for, for, to, in, in order to get Covington. I just don't see where 
the pieces that we give up, I don't think it will it will add any value any value to bring the Raptor to, to bring Covington to the Raptors. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I, except I'm probably higher on Covington than mm-hmm. you guys are. I think Covington is really good. I do think he is better than Hollis Jefferson, but I don't know how much value he brings. What the point is in disrupting the locker room at that point? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't. It seems kind of like a, a pointless endeavor because that doesn't seem like where the Raptors would win a series with the Robert Covington minutes. It, it wouldn't seem like that much of a drop off from say a Hollis Jefferson, but. Any any other uh, opinions on Covington or who the Raptors should add? Anything like that? Yeah, I mean, in terms of Covington, I don't want to make it seem like I'm not high on him because he is a nice player. Yeah. I just think of – I feel like he's reached his ceiling. Like, the, this is the Covington that you're going to get. I don't know just how much better that he can get. So what he does bring to the table is good for other teams. I just don't see it really being a need for the Raptors. I would love to see the Raptors go out and get a, a rebounder. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who can who can get gritty in the post. Get, I thought about this one for a while, but I kind of moved away from it. But a Tristan Thompson piece, he's a good defensive player. He can grab rebounds. I just don't know where he would fit in the mix with the Raptors. Uh, what do you guys think of that one? Um, Zaid, I'll let you take over first. One thing I have to take into account is that he's on a max deal. I'm not exactly sure how much how many years are left. I think it's one or two years. So it, it's very when you when you say who we who the Raptors need to bring in. You have to also keep in mind, Fred Van Vliet is a free agent at the end of this year. And he's going to ask for $20, $25 million at, mm-hmm. at the end of this year. So you can't really bring in a guy who's getting paid that much because you've got your, your, your salary tied up with Lowry. You've got, Pasc- uh, you've got Pascal, who just signed a deal um, at the beginning of the season, I believe. So I agree with Fetty where we need to bring in a rebounder because Fetty had mentioned this to me earlier before. Pascal is not that good of a rebound. Rebounder. I believe he averages four a game. Four, yeah, four. So if Pascal's not going to rebound, we need somebody to help us rebound and 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 to get defensive rebounds because the Raptors oftentimes are out rebounded, and it's because of those we're missing out on those defensive rebounds. So it's kind of tricky in order to see who the Raptors bring in because they're such a well constructed team from top to bottom, and everybody knows their roles. So it's tough to to disrupt that chemistry. And then you add salary in the mix. It, it it's tough to see what move Masai is going to make at the, uh, yeah. at this deadline. And sorry, Sam. Before you start, I just want to interrupt. I did give you wrong information. It was mm-hmm. over the last little stretch. He was mm-hmm. averaging four rebounds, mm-hmm. but on the year he's about seven and a half. Okay, so that's that's yeah. good. But I think it's still it's still prudent to mention that Siakam isn't a plus rebounder at his position, mm-hmm. and also with the unique parts of his game, with how he stretches the floor vertically. And, you know, his his penchant to run out on the fast break, his proclivity mm-hmm. for that, how he mixes in being a, you know, a guy who's helping out on the defensive glass and how he mixes in being a threat going up the floor for that touchdown pass that he loves to receive and jump starting the Raptors transition. That's an important step for him as growing into a star and really being able to read the game to know when he can shoot up the floor. When, the, when he knows that the rebounds will be secured or when he has to get back and help. And he's not fully there yet. But as far as bringing a rebounder, I think I, I do understand the Raptors um, definitely need rebounding. But I think that they'll look to assure that in-house and ask guys to, to focus on it more rather than look for that as a you know an asset. Because rebounding is one of the things that it, it's not as... Um, there's not as much of it in the league as there used to be, yeah. not, but not to the point that it's a really unique trait of players. 
you know, rebounding is one of those things that you can just ask a guy, hey, we need more of this from you. For example, OG Ananobi this year, which we already talked about. But like you guys are saying, and like you brought up, Zaid, how much the guy makes is a really important factor because the Raptors have very, very carefully put together this rebuild on the fly slash staying competitive idea, and they're clearly setting themselves up to be players in free agency in a little bit. And that that's dependent on both Fred's free agency, that's dependent on who they bring in. So all these things are really important, and the Raptors, it seems like they can't get a better guy than Rondé Hollis-Jefferson without taking on you know a decent-sized contract. So it's, it's really interesting. This is why Masai Ujiri runs the Raptors, not us, because he can get more creative than that. Sure. But uh, it's it's one of the most interesting parts of the game, for sure, definitely. And the next question is from CQ. Who would be the most ideal potential buyout candidate for this Raptors team? And I'll start us off with echoing the same sentiment that I just did. The Raptors get better and maintain their excellence by the attention to detail they pay to the back of their roster, which means that the Raptors, as we saw last year, Jeremy Lin came over didn't play hardly any minutes. The Raptors have such a good quality of depth that buyout candidates don't have as much meaning for their team mm. as they would for the Lakers or teams who have spread themselves thin like too much butter over or too little butter over too yeah. much bread, something like that. A team like the Lakers, they're thirsty for the buyout market, <laughs> maybe even the heat. But the Raptors, you're not going to find that much better unless something really crazy happens. What do you guys think? So I actually had a question because I I did see that question, but I wasn't under, I wasn't sure. Did they mean somebody that the Raptors should buy out of their own roster? No, no. Like uh, remember or what happened last year with Jeremy? I, I I was thinking the same thing. Really, I don't really see any fit. The only person I would see, maybe not even in the buyout market, but just free agency. Really, the biggest name would be Jamal Crawford, <laughs> and he can make you some plays, but. That would be a disaster for the defense that we run, whether it be with our starters, with our bench. It really doesn't matter. It just would not work at all for us. So, I, like you said, I think we're just so carefully constructed, um, so intricate. Every position is so figured out, and it just runs a beautiful system. And we only have about an eight-man rotation. It's not, you know, so I, I don't, like you said, I don't really see us, or the sorry, I don't see the Raptors really needing a buyout candidate. And not that I don't really think there are any right now that would really alter our team. Yeah, Zaid, what do you think, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm also going to pick it back up. What you said is that anything we, anything the Raptors lack, they look for it in-house. And they're so good at developing players. They're so good at getting guys from the G League. Like, you know, you have, there's Matt Thomas who comes in and out, you know. So anything that the Raptors need, they look for it in-house for the most part. And they look to develop it in-house. So to test the buyout market, to look at the buyout market to get a guy who's not going to play or get the guy to get a guy that's going to be at the end of the bench. I think the Raptors much rather just develop the guys in house and get those guys game minutes. Um, so I, I don't really see any advantage to, to, to bring in a guy from the bio market for the Raptors and bring in a brand new guy, brand new to the culture, brand new to the system. So I don't really see Masai looking at the bio market, but you, I mean, like you said, there's a reason why he runs it and we don't. So yeah. anything can happen, but from what I can see, I don't see the Raptors going and diving into the bio market. Yeah. The third question we have here from Nathan Alexander, is Fred Van Vliet the best undrafted player in the league? So when I think of that, I think of guys like Bryn Forbes is a guy who was undrafted. But outside of Fred Van Vliet, Terrence Davis, of course, there's not that many undrafted players who have 
you know, rotation spots in the league. Can you guys think of any off the top of your head? I've been very high on this team this year. Please do not forget about Kendrick Nunn. I oh, believe yeah, Kendrick was, Nunn is a good one as well. Yeah, he, totally. He's, 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 he was signed on the last day of last year. So now I guess technically his, this is his rookie season. So And he's become a starting point guard for the Heat team. And he's, he's, he's not, I don't think he's outplayed Dragic in a way, but they've moved Dragic to the bench and they've started him. He's been one of the best undrafted players in, 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 the, in the league this year. So he's, he's running that offense. He's giving them everything they need. He can shoot. He's athletic. He can, he can distribute. I think he's actually one of the best um, undrafted players. But Fred Van Vliet, for sure, especially what the jump that he's made from last year to this year, he's right up there with Kendrick Dunn, in my opinion. Yeah, and I do. Uh, yeah, I can't believe I forgot about Nunn. But Nunn is very crafty, driving to the rim, really good at attacking those closeouts when the Heat get the other team's defense churning and turning. He's he's got a really nice game. Obviously, had those off the off court stuff that is well followed him around until he got into the league. But the Heat are, you know, they'll take talent wherever they can get it, and he's been really impressive this year, especially in how he attacks. He's got that left hand, similar to Dragic, and how deceptive he can be getting to the rim and the three-point shot has come a long way from when he was in university well college i should say but okay so maybe for the raptors he could be the best undrafted player for the raptors yeah. but league-wide there are some nba legends that went undrafted like i don't want to say legends but like ben wallace was undrafted like Raja bell was undrafted so these are guys jj Barea was undrafted mm-hmm. um jose calderon was undrafted who was a raptor as well so there's a lot of guys that went undrafted that ended up making a really good career for themselves mm-hmm. fred van vliet uh could probably be the best raptor that we've that they've gotten undrafted um but i don't know about best in the league that that, that might be uh tough. that might be tough but yeah like zay was saying kendrick nunn uh, his presence and his shooting ability uh, just ability to take over a game and his confidence uh, it's awesome to see. Now, do you guys know? I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure, but was Duncan Robinson drafted, or was he undrafted as well? I think he's undrafted. I think he's undrafted. I think, undrafted. He, I think he, he might undrafted. be undrafted, yep. and he's also a, a key player to look out for. Yeah. In terms of the undrafted guys, like obviously Freddie has a little bit more than him in terms of he can you know dribble the ball. He's a point guard. He can set the pace a little bit, whereas Duncan is a spot up shooter. He can stretch the floor. But in terms of undrafted, man, like. Duncan, Kendrick, those guys, and, and specifically being on the same team yeah. just goes to show you the development there and, and the scouting eye that they have over there. And actually, Miami runs a similar scouting system to Toronto in terms of going to the G League and looking at G League talent. And, mm-hmm. you know, you look at a Chris Boucher. Was Chris Boucher drafted? I no, don't think Chris Boucher is undrafted. Yeah. That's, that's also another guy to look out for because Chris Boucher has a high ceiling. I think he just needs a lot of, you know, raw work and just to get a little bit bigger. But a lot of, a lot of hidden gems in the undrafted market. Yeah, definitely. I think, but I think this question was saying right now in the league, not not maybe ever, but Ben Wallace certainly has had a better career than Fred VanVleet to this point. Rajah yeah. Bell, the Kobe stopper, whatever, whatever <laughs> um, they had the name for him. But yeah, there's there's been a lot of great undrafted players. Sure. And but I think right now in the league, I'd I'd give the edge to Fred, Fred over yeah. Kendrick Nunn. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, yeah, I would only because of longevity as well. Kendrick Nunn's had a good four or five months of this, whereas yeah. we've seen Fred not just win a championship with the Raptors, but also win a championship in the G League as well. So his development and then coming into the pros and just being his size and his finishing ability around the rim, his defensive ability. I think he was league leading in deflections in, in the NBA. So that's for some for a guy who's like 6'2", 6'3", that's really impressive. So I would 100% give it to Freddie. Also, I love Freddie, so I'm very biased in that regard. I'm huge Freddie Stan. 
Freddie's our guy. I think he always will be too, especially oh, yeah. after the finals performance. But I, the last I would love question. To see him get re-upped here and stay. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's one of the most intriguing things for the Raptors in the offseason is what happens with Fred and what type of contract can he play himself into. But sure. the uh, the fourth question and the last question we have from wrapped up before the season started, there was lots of talk about the aging Lowry, Gasol, and Ibaka. Lowry's contract is extended one year only, but these guys are the strong base to the team right now. We need them. What's the future for them? I'd be happy to swing this over to you guys. I honestly had a lot of doubts about Lowry coming into the season because he just was one year older. I'm like, maybe I'll have a championship hangover. But for these guys to be the core of the Raptors team, essentially the, the veteran core of the Raptors team, their future will be tough. I, I know Lowry is going to stay for one more year. We'll see what happens and what Masai does the year after that. Um, if he plays well next year, I don't, I don't see why not. I don't see why Lowry wouldn't get extended maybe another year if he's interested. With... Ibaka and Gasol, that's the tricky part. Gasol's really, really aging, and he's really, really becoming immobile, but he still plays a very important role for the team. Ibaka plays an extremely important role for the team as well. It'll be interesting to see how Masai brings them back. It, it all comes down to salary. These guys have gotten paid already, so you'd hope you know, they take a, maybe a, a championship discount or something like that to, in order to bring Freddie, Freddie back in as well. So I think it all just comes around... It all based around money. So, you know, Lowry, he's gotten a bunch of max level deals. Ibaka's coming off a pretty big deal. And then Gasol's coming off, I believe, a, if not a max, a very, 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 very lucrative yeah, deal. Yeah, 25, 26 million for Gasol. Exactly. That's this so you'd year. Hope, you'd hope Best that. Best player option of all time. Right. So you'd hope that, you know, they've made enough money. They can be like, okay, you know, I'm here now to win or to be competitive. Let's take less money. So, in my opinion, the future of those three veteran core guys, it all comes down to money and how Masai can play with the cap to include them and also include guys like Freddie and whoever the Raptors want to pick up in order to improve the team. Yeah, I think uh, bringing up, you know, the money is, that's obviously the first thing. So, it's whether Serge, Kyle, Mark are going to take those legacy discounts to yeah. try and build a, a larger legacy with the Raptors. Mark Gasol, I think, would be the guy who would be easiest for because he has made a lot of money in his career. He's played for a long time. And I think he knows he's, he's definitely a humble guy league wide. I don't think he's like, I would never blame a guy for trying to get the bag, get as much money in the league as you can before you get out. But Mark seems like a guy who's not so much driven by that. Yeah. It seems like, and I'm not, I'm not sure, but to me, it seems like he really loves the franchise right now. And after being with Memphis, which he loved, but also was disgruntled for a point in time, knowing that he has guys like Masai handling the team around him, knowing that he has a guy like Nick Nurse, who he respects and likes to play for, and in a system that's creative and has a lot of ingenuity, that all seems to jive with uh, what Mark really likes. But as far as Kyle, a guy who was underpaid for a large part of his career, even mm. when he was making $12 million a year or close to that when he was... When he was first playing with the Raptors, when he first became an all-star, that was a steal. He was he was worth way more than that at that point in time. And then starting to make a little bit more money. He knows, you know, Kyle's got a bit bigger chip on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. I wonder what that means for him. Maybe he wants to go back to Philly, finish out there. I and it's it's tougher to read Kyle. He's mercurial, you know, he's kind of he's kind of that type of dude. And Serge, I mean, who the hell knows with Serge? I couldn't get a read <laughs> on that guy if I wanted to. <laughs> Um, what I was going to add in with this one, so 
I'm I'm very happy this question was asked because I was just thinking about this. But in terms of what I think the trajectory of the Raptors should be. So like you were saying earlier, Marcus All loves it here, but it's beyond culture. I find that a lot of international players in general love Toronto because of the international culture in Toronto. So there's a lot of little pockets in Toronto of different cultures. So he could very well have found a nice, you know, Spanish pocket of people of of Latin people who, you know, they celebrate their culture, whether it be through food, get together. Like I know when Valentinus was here, a girl actually I went to high school with was Lithuanian and she knew him from family get togethers. So there's a lot of, you know, different things that these guys can find it within the network. And even Kawhi said he loves the culture here. The food was great and all that stuff. So from a culture perspective, I don't doubt that these guys love being here. I would generally like to see a Kyle Lowry trade and I'll, before everybody loses their mind, <laughs> let me explain. You mentioned the best Kalari. You're not going to get a veteran's minimum out of Kalari, especially with the way that he's playing right now. Uh, yesterday, I think we were they were saying um, for guys over 30, he's the only or the second player over 30 in the league right now scoring over 20 points a game. This, the first is LeBron James. So that is, or I think it was it was either something I might have the stat wrong, but it was something mm-hmm. like along those lines. So he's definitely having a very productive season. He's playing really well. He's not going to take a championship discount. And I personally would rather see Freddie flourish into that role because Kyle Lowry is falling out of his prime. So for us to give, for the Raptors to give him another three years, whatever million, you're locking him in for three years. He could be good for another one year and then start to really decline after two. Whereas you can invest in Freddie, you have the long term. Gasol is going to be off your books. You can sign him back at a, at a much lower than 27 million. Mm-hmm. That way you've got Lowry, Lowry off your books. The only thing that people get offended by is Lowry is our guy now. This is he's Toronto, and the the idea of trading Kyle Lowry is almost offensive to people. But when you think of it of it financially and you know the trajectory of this team, it does not make sense for us to pass up an opportunity to sign a Fred VanVleet, uh, who the Raptors have developed in house, who they've seen constant improvement year over year from. For, you know, a guy as a thank you, you know, thanks so much for bringing us this championship that we're just going to hold on to so dearly forever. And it just doesn't make sense that way. Yeah, I think you bring up a really great point, And that is Kyle, the level he's playing at. I don't know that there has ever been a guy who's taken a minimum while at this level. It certainly would be if he was still doing, you know, 12 points, nine assists. You could see a guy take the minimum like Dirk took the minimum a lot earlier than people thought he would he took that one year well it wasn't the minimum he took one year eight million when he was still playing pretty good basketball we've seen it happen before but it would be genuinely unprecedented if Lowry took that big a pay cut while being so valuable and providing this much production and as far as Mark and international pockets you're probably not going to find a podcast hosted by two dudes named Fetty and Zaid in Indianapolis so that's maybe that's the appeal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of uh, playing in Toronto, you know? For sure. But For that sure. feels like a great place to uh, to get out of here. How do you guys feel about that? Absolutely, man. It was, uh, I think we've, we've got a lot, we chopped up a lot about the Raptors today and uh, I don't want to keep you away from the NFL playoffs. I don't know if you watch, but AFC, NFC happening today. Yeah, big stuff. But before we get out of here, I'll let you guys take the floor, tell the people where to find you, tell them what to listen to. If they haven't already been convinced by enjoying your guys' takes and depth of knowledge, let them know. So if you like 
general NBA basketball, anything to do with basketball, that's what we specialize in. I guess you can say, or we're, I guess we're generalists in a, in a way. Raptors are our bread and butter, though, at the end of the day. Definitely. Um, but we're, we're on everything, you know, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, uh, the Fade Away Podcast, that's spelled F-A-E-D. We know how to spell, but that's just a play on our names. Um, so if you're looking for... <laughs> If you're looking for um, uh, uh, an, an objective view, we, we really try to be objective with everything that we, we look into and everything that we say, and we never try to be biased towards anything. So if, you were, if you're interested in, interested in a view like that, you know where to listen. Yeah, absolutely. And we just got to you know, really identify that we are generalists because this the Raptors thing is your pocket. That's your thing. We're not we're not and you don't even want to hear two guys talk about the Raptors that have a deep love for the Raptors anyways, because <laughs> that's just gonna be 45 minutes of pure bias. So yeah, check us out. Uh we're you know high level overview of what's going on around the league on and off the court. So it's pretty fun. Yeah and listener, if you didn't think that these guys were objective, that they were pragmatic, my guy literally just proposed the Kyle Lowry trade. So if you think he's got <laughs> bias or sentimentality running through his veins, he does not. He's he's gonna trade Kyle Lowry straight out of here. So if you want it's a business, man. It's a business. Yeah. If you want to hear the business of the NBA, you guys want to hear these guys with their depth and knowledge talk about the NBA at large, fade away podcast, F A E D away. And they do know how to spell it, as you heard before. But, hey, man, they're just trying to have fun out here. So yes, I'd, I'd like to thank you guys for coming on once again. It's been an absolute blast. Oh, thanks for having us on, man. It was our pleasure, for real. And to the listener, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for listening. Whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee. Ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. At American Public University, we believe that higher education can unlock higher purpose. So we offer 200 modern programs for those who want to make a difference. And we believe education must adapt to students' needs. That's why we've made it accessible through online classes and flexible with monthly program starts. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com.